This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. We're taking a look at Saul's conversion. For those of you that don't know, Saul started off Saul and became Paul, the apostle. It's an amazing story, and it's good for us to take a look at. Um, I do want to make mention... For those of you that can make it on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, it's a really good time to come out for Sunday school. And if you've ever had questions about things in the Bible, that's an excellent forum to come in and to be able to spend some time with Brother Dana. I try to make it in for at least most of the Sunday school class before bouncing back out here for service. But it's a great time in there where you're able to ask some of the questions and get some clarity on things that you may not have understood. And Brother Dana does really well. And he doesn't give the big long sheets that I do on the Wednesday night. So those of you that are concerned about homework, he's very easy in that regard. But it's essential, It's very practical. You learn a lot in the process. So, sorry Brother Dana, I know I didn't tell you I was going to do that. But, you know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As found out by the offering thing, because I just cringe on that one. But the the thing that they're talking about at the end of the month is end of the month is ministers retreat. Every year in Southern New England district, actually in all the Assembly of God districts, they have a ministers retreat, and they go in Southern New England. They go out to I think it's Falmouth. Thank you. Yeah. However, she said it, Massachusetts, and. It's, it's essentially just pastors and their wives. It's, you know, it's the practical pastor conference this, this time. So, anyway, Acts chapter 9. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get there eventually. I just, that's really hard. It's hard when you know you're the guy that they're talking about and you're really trying not. It's just everything inside me is wired to not want to have that happen. And I know it sounds, it sounds strange because now here I am standing in front of people, but it's just one of those things. I don't know if you understand. Oh, and i got to say this just as another commercial. <laughs> Christian's got the Blue Jays shirt on. That's from the first go-round. I got that in 1992 when they won the World Series. <laughs> I didn't even realize he had it. He comes walking in and this morning I'm going... Wow, I haven't seen that in forever. But it's also been forever since the Blue Jays were in the World Series, and if they don't suddenly figure out how to hit, they're not going to be there at all this year. So, anyway, I know, because it's strange. Because usually it's the Boston Red Sox. But apparently every 23 years when the Jays make it into a playoff, I'll pay attention to what they're doing. <laughs> Acts chapter 9. That's it for the commercials. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Come and place your hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and, and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, most of us would be familiar with the hymn Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. What you may not be familiar with is the story behind how he came to write that hymn. John Newton originally went out as a sailor. And given that sailors were not known for their holy living, he participated in tons of drinking, tons of flagrant sins. He lived the life of a rough-and-tumble sailor. Not only did he live that life, but he, had, he was on a slave ship. And so he participated in going down to Africa and capturing slaves and selling them into slavery. And so this was what John Newton was doing. And he was so good at it that eventually he ends up with his very own ship. He becomes captain of a slave ship. And in the process of that, he encounters a violent storm on the seas. And it was during that storm that God came to him. It was during then that he came to the Lord and accepted Christ. One of the worst sinners of the time went on to be one of the greatest saints in history. It's an amazing thing that God, with his amazing grace, reaches down to wretches like us and uses us. And that's what we see here with Paul, too. We're right here at chapter 9. They've just stoned Philip. Philip has been stoned. Paul held the cloaks of the guys throwing the stones. Okay, to help you understand that, he made it easier for the people that were throwing the stones as they were killing Stephen. He is so zealous, such a hard man, Pursuing things, he's actually left Jerusalem to go to Damascus. And it's on the Damascus road that he has a powerful meeting with the Lord. The Lord catches his attention. First thing we see is Saul contending with the grace of God, which is one of the most amazing things because that's something all of us have to do we all end up contending with the Lord's grace at some point in our lives. And it's how we respond to it that makes all the difference in the world. There he is. Thinking he's about the Lord's work. Zealous beyond all ghetto for the Lord. He thinks he's doing the Lord's work and he's capturing Christians everywhere. And he's not content just to do it in Jerusalem. He's gone to the chief priests and he has said Give me the papers. Let me go to Damascus. Because after the stoning of Stephen, the Christians have taken off out of Jerusalem. And that's one of the things that leads to the growth of the church. Because suddenly you have all of these people who have seen Jesus, who have seen the things that were going on, and that have been radically touched by God in Jerusalem, who now find themselves in a bunch of the other cities round about. And one of the places they've gone is Damascus, and there must have been the largest collection there besides Jerusalem because we see Paul zealously going, okay, that's it, I'm going to go. And it's when he's on the way that he suddenly has this encounter with the Lord, and it says there was a bright flash of light, and it knocks him down off of the mount that he was riding. And that's something because it was something that caught his attention in the middle of his daily life. God reached down and had an appointment with him, which is one of the best things. Because when God meets you and has an appointment with you, it can come at any point, at any time. And that's what it did for Saul, right there, on the road, with a bunch of other guys round about. He gets down, knocked off. Paul says... 
he was zealous in his conduct. In 1 Timothy, you see him talking about what a change God did in his life. But it takes an encounter with God to change a man that hard. It takes an encounter with God for any of us. One of the best things is Saul's conversion. At some point, every one of us has to face the Lord and either choose to follow Him or choose to walk the other way. When we turn to follow Jesus, we change our allegiances. But it comes to every one of us. And I can guarantee you, you know people in your life that feel that they are not worthy. None of us is ever worthy. It can be difficult But there's cool things that you'll notice in Paul's conversion. He has the confrontation when the light hits him. He hears a calling. Paul hears a calling. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul asks, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul doesn't even know that he's been doing it. It takes that. And you know what's really cool? Is that he hears an audible voice. None of the other guys, it says they heard a sound, but they couldn't understand what they heard. The other guys, he's traveling in a group. And it's possible to have an encounter with God with tons of people all around you and have them not realize that God has just suddenly changed your life. When we are open to it, when he gets our attention, and hopefully he gets our attention long before he has to do the knocking off of the mount, long before he drives you to the ground. But no matter what, no matter what is going on, he still speaks audibly. He still speaks to people individually. You don't just have to be Saul to have that. You just have to be willing to hear from him. And to his credit, Paul listens That question, though, I don't know if you've ever spent the time looking at it. Who are you, Lord? We come to that at some point in our lives, and you will encounter people that will come to it, and they will say, Who are you, Lord? That's not an easy question to answer. It's not an easy question to be faced with. Because... Who are you, Lord? Why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine how that kicks right into the heart for Saul? Especially after his eyes are opened and he realizes, and you see it in 1 Timothy, the first chapter. In verses 13 through 17, I think it talks about his encounter with God. Because it was such a life-changing encounter with God that he knew that he had been touched and he needed that. He needed that encounter with God because what God is going to ask him to do is so far beyond anything that Saul could have ever imagined. And that is huge. Because sometimes when you have those encounters with God, we're not thinking, what's it going to be six months down the road? Three years down the road? We can look at Paul and we know exactly what happens. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He has that encounter on the Damascus Road And he ends up in the desert for three years learning from the Lord. Back in the mid-90s, that was how, honest to goodness, I heard a pile of sermons at the Bible College because it was a three-year program. But it takes three years in order to fulfill your calling. Three years of training, everyone needs it. See, Saul did too. That just... It's funny because it's not an exact interpretation. But, okay, it was was funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) We see that Paul confesses that Jesus is Lord. We can see it throughout his life. And we see a commitment. What a life change to go from stoning Christians, to go from persecuting them, rounding them up so that they can be killed, 
Can you imagine what it was like to stand there for Saul at Stephen's execution as they were stoning Stephen? And I mean, he's front row. The guy who's holding the cloaks, he's, stand, he's standing there because, of course, you would do this when you're going to throw a stone, right? Because you don't want to rip the back out of your jacket. And they would take off the outer garment that they had on. The one that was the dress one. The one that was all the color. Not the white one underneath. But they would take off that first row. Because you want your pitching arm to be nice and limber. It's one of those things. I don't know if you've thrown snowballs in the, in the winter. Okay, again, it must only be me. And I was the guy who was on the bus who came up with the great way of bringing a snowball fight inside while we were still in elementary school. Luke, if you used the knitted cap back then, it was awesome. <laughs> Of course, if you do it, uh, little did I know that I was going to end up with the opportunity to then walk for the rest of my schooling because the bus driver remembered me. Yet you get her once with one snowball that never forget. <laughs> bus was moving and it caught her in the back of the head. Admittedly, it was a bad throw. It, it slipped away on me and the guy that was supposed to hit ducked. <laughs> yeah, that was special. And my, my mother was so, she was so awesome about it. Yeah. So understanding. The other kids are getting a ride to school. My mom's going, no, you're walking. I know you were in it. But they would take, like this, and take things off. And they'd land. And so Saul's standing there because Saul's bearing witness to the execution. Okay, I don't know if you're catching this. He stands beside the people that are about to kill Stephen. He sees that execution. He participates in it. He's part of the persecution of more Christians. And then on the Damascus Road, God reaches down. Because it doesn't matter who we are or where we are. When we have an appointment with God, He reaches down and He meets with you. Because it's about you and Him. That's how important you are to Him. That's how important each one of us is to Him. We may not realize that we've had a Damascus Road experience. And I'm thankful that it's not just a one-time only thing. That God in His mercy will give you the opportunity numbers of times to turn to Him. Numbers of times to turn back to Him. And the biggest thing is that we forget is we sit there and we go, Oh man, I blew it. Okay, that's it. And I can tell you, I've encountered people all the time that go, well, I thought about following the Lord, but, you know, it just wasn't the right time of my life. And invariably, it tends to lead me to this question. Well, what time is it? How do you think you're going to find it? But Saul here has such a powerful encounter with the Lord that it drives his very steps. And it has to, because he gets called to the Gentiles. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This guy knew Judaism. He was a star. He was a fast rising. It says, I think, in 1 Timothy that he was rising so fast that he was ahead of other people his age. This was an up-and-comer. If he kept on the track that he was going on, very likely he could have become chief priest, which was a fast track. That's the head of all the religious things in the city of Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, God catches him. Grabs a hold of him. And he ends up making a strong commitment to the Lord that changes his life and leads to us being here today. Because unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. And when you're a Gentile, we're here because Paul was called on the Damascus Road. We're here because Paul responded to the call knowing that we were going to need what he was going to do that we might hear the gospel some 2,000 years later. You want to know when your life's having a big impact. Paul had no idea that his conversion was going to lead to mine or yours. He had no idea at the time because we don't get the full picture we get the encounter with God. But there's somebody else that we see here in the story. We see Ananias, and Ananias is a little put off. Ananias hears 
that Saul's in town. And how much you want to be prepared? Because I know something happens in town and they're upset at the church. All the Christians in a town know that they're upset at the church. Even more so then because they're chasing after the Christians to kill them. And so Ananias hears that Saul from Jerusalem's here. Saul the Pharisee has come to town and that's got people worried. And I can guarantee you that he, everyone in town has also heard that Saul's blind. They've heard now that something happened on the ride in and he's being led by the hand. He's been brought into the city and can't see. And I can guarantee you, having known Christians, they're sitting there and they're going, nah, that's right, that's judgment on, on Saul. See, he put his hand against the church and look at that, judgment's fallen. Which is really good, yeah, hey. Yeah, because we get really caught up with who we are, don't we? Yeah, we're, we're all that in a pile of pickles. I know it's not the right one. I need Chuck to help me out. He was helping with the rest of them this morning. Thank you. <laughs> he gets it. <laughs> you have no idea that was awesome. Because <laughs> the elevator must have broken just as I was headed for that thought. Ananias has a vision from God. Can you imagine? You've got the guy in your city who has been executing Christians, whose papers have come saying that he's there to kill Christians. And you have the Lord appear to you and say, oh, by the way, Ananias, I have a job for you. Ananias, I want you to go to Saul from Tarsus because he's been praying and he's seen a vision that you're going to come. And Ananias is in those Jonah moments. He's sitting there going, wait, what? You want, whoa, God, really? Come on, please. No, not there. Don't, don't, don't send me to Saul. Come on, let, let me talk to a hundred other people. I'll go and see a hundred other people. How about that, God? Maybe he didn't negotiate, but he sure questioned it. Oh, Lord, do you know who he is? You see that in Scripture. Oh, Lord, do you know who he is? God, just in case I get Ananias, I get that. I can understand the man. Because I like to point out to God when things get really difficult, when God's saying, here, I want you to go and do something, and I'm looking at it going, oh, why in the world? Why in the world? I negotiated like the trooper back in my teens. Because God told me to go to Rhode Island. I didn't know where Rhode Island was. Everybody I knew didn't know where Rhode Island was. Told me to go to a Bible college in Rhode Island called Zion Bible Institute. Oh, great. Yeah, look that one up. And we didn't have the web at the time. Well, we did. But it wasn't the way you're thinking of it. And I won't get into that because that would be bad. Okay, it was a little message board. You'd connect with your little dial-up and you'd go to a message board. Anyway, so I've lost everybody now, so that's good. I like it when everybody's lost on those. That's special. Ananias receives a vision from God. And Ananias puts him on the track to show grace to Paul. It's not an easy thing when you go to someone who you're afraid of, who you know can cause death, who you know has come to kill you and your fellow believers because of what you believe. Missionaries are amazing for their ability to go into places. Missionaries are amazing knowing that it could cost their lives. Every missionary that's in a restricted access country right now, a restricted access country is a country where they cannot put down that they're there as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it would mean they would be killed. Ministers in Iran, Indonesia, Jerusalem, any of those places have to be extremely careful. In fact, your correspondence with missionaries overseas, you actually have to really work on. Because when I was at the district, we would send emails back and forth with some of the missionaries that were on field that were coming home. And we had to be very careful that we didn't say anything that then got them into trouble. Saudi Arabia, another one. Very difficult because if they get caught in the country, 
they can be executed. And so Ananias is in that situation. He's telling them to go to the worst of the worst. Why? Because God cares about the worst of the worst. Just as He cares about us. Just as He reached out to a wretch like me, He continues to reach out to other wretches. That's not easy though. And I don't want to be the guy to get that call. And so Ananias is busy. Oh God, by the way, oh great and sovereign Lord, just in case you forgot, just in case you're not paying attention to what's going on down here, here, let me tell you the score. There's been two hits, four executions. They flogged at least six others that I heard about in Jerusalem, God. Are you sure you want me to go to him? Are you sure that that's who you're sending me to? And you know what? The only time we see Ananias here in Scripture, because this isn't the same Ananias in Acts 5. Sorry, Francis, don't know if you remember that. But Acts 5, different Ananias. Common name. This is an unknown. All that we know about Ananias is that his name was Ananias, and that God sent him, and he had a real test of faith. Because even if you've been serving the Lord for quite a long time, God will give you those moments that stretch you beyond where you thought you'd be stretched. And that's what happens here. And he has to make the decision to step out in faith. Can you imagine if he didn't go? God would have had to send somebody else. There would have been somebody else that would have had the impact in Saul's life. Because we know it was a substantial impact because Paul is so radically saved during this encounter that he goes on to become the apostle to the Gentiles and a majority of the New Testament is written by Paul. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that God used a guy by the name of Ananias who other than that, all we know is that he went and he had the faith to believe, and he had to exercise grace. Sometimes that's important to know because we want to be careful when we're doubting God's power. We want to be careful especially when we're doubting God's grace because God will work in the heart of anyone who is willing. And God's still calling people today. I don't know who the next person you're going to talk to that you may change their life because God's having you work with grace in their life. They may have only ever had judgment when it's come to them. And that's the hardest thing when somebody walks through the doors of the church. When we're sitting here all too comfortable thinking, oh, what are they doing here? And I know none, none of you would ever do it. None of you would ever say it. Because I know you guys are the most holy, awesome people in the world. And I may be the only one that's ever had that question because you get cynical sometimes going, oh, are they just here for this? Are they just here for that? I'm thankful that Ananias didn't stay in that position. I'm thankful that he moved on so that God could use him because that's a powerful thing. And he gets to do one of the miracles where sight is given back to a man strictly in the realm of God's work strictly in the realm of healings that God does because He opens the eyes of the blind. And that's literally what happens. And we see, we see Saul getting commissioned in this process. It's not just being saved. It's not just, as it's been said, about fire insurance. It's not just about getting fire insurance. Sometimes we think that being a Christian is all about making sure that our butt isn't going to land in the lake of fire. That it's simply fire insurance for eternity. That that's what we're there for. But it isn't. If that's all we ever do is pick up fire insurance, we've missed out on all of life. Because it's about having God working through us. It's about being His vessels. It's about seeing God move that He might receive glory. And more importantly, it's about making sure that other people not only learn about the good news, but that they're able to walk in it and share it with others. Paul's commission was based on the supernatural power of God. It was a commission for a specific purpose. This guy's going to be going to the Gentiles. And I know, this one's going to get me in trouble. But did you notice? Anybody notice in there 
that there was a price that's going to be paid? Because when the Lord responded to Ananias, He said, don't you worry. I know what He's done. And He will have special pain in His ministry. And I know there's people out there that will tell you that Christians should never have any pain. That should never go through things. I know that God's able, even in the midst of the worst pain, to pull you through it. I know that even though you can go through and have your body racked with pain, that God will see you through it. I've seen God do it. I know God does it. I tend to live it. I don't understand. Again, this week I went geocaching. Who would have thought? Dang. Man, left over, left over a little bit of a big old puddle. Busted up my knee, something fierce. As I figured, I rationalized it last week. You remember last Sunday, my knee was bothering me, and I went, oh, I must not be walking enough. And so we went geocaching. It's all great, except don't put geocaching on trails that aren't trails. But no matter what goes on in your body, just because you're going through hard times in the body, in your very own body, and it doesn't work the way you want it to work, it doesn't change if God can use you or not. It just changes how awesomely you'll be able to see God do things. Because when we are beat up in our bodies, when our bodies don't function the way we want them to, God is still able to work. And we're able to marvel and say, wow, God, you're still able to use me even though I'm weak. Even though it seems to me like there's nothing that I can do. When it seems to me like there's no hope, you're still able to use me? That's amazing, God. Because it's about Him. And I know beyond all shadow of a doubt that He is there. And in our weaknesses, He's made strong. And we see it in Paul's life. Because it's not what goes on in our body that matters, but who's on the throne. That's what matters. Because it's not by our power, not by our might, but by His Spirit. And so when we allow His Spirit to work through us, I can tell you, and it happens to me just about every Sunday, that I go through the sermon and I'm not feeling the normal things that go on in my body. My body isn't fighting me like it does any other time. And I've known other revivalists that have had that go on in their life. Not to say I'm a revivalist, it was a little too close of a tie in there, but it's an amazing thing that God, even with our bodies, is still able to move and work through us and is willing to. Is willing to. And so we see Paul with this great commission that comes to him where he's headed out. And I think that's where it sums it up. What amazing grace that God, God can take an executioner. That God can take someone who was so zealous to destroy the church. His mission was to destroy the church. And God takes that. Reaches down touches that life, and radically transforms it. I don't care where you are or what's gone on. At some point in your life, you will feel like a wretch. And it's an amazing thing when you realize His amazing grace applies to you. It applies in your life. And if you're sitting there and you've already come to that realization, then the other piece to take out of this is it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what encounter you're having in your life. God's amazing grace is for each one. Because Martin Luther never would have come to the Lord in such a powerful way back in the 1500s without Ananias' faithful conduct to go and pray for the man named Saul to go and pray for the chief executioner of Christians. And God chooses to use the base things. He chooses to use the things that everybody says have no value. Somebody may have told you that you got no value. Somebody may have told you that you can't do it. Somebody may have told you that that's it for you. You've had the best run of your life. Just give up. Stop digging. Quit walking. No matter what somebody says to you, that isn't what matters. What matters is what God says about you. You are His child. You were saved by grace. And that grace He wants to extend to other people. He wants to continue to extend that grace. 
and give people the opportunity to come back to Him and know life in its fullest. Because that's what this is about. This isn't about coming to church on a Sunday. This is about a relationship with the Lord that is sustaining, that is all about Him, that His power is working through you, that you're in right relationship. The saddest thing that we have is people that don't know that they can have a relationship with Christ and know life like they've never known it before. That's the thing with my dad. That's what's so powerful to me about what God has done in his life. It's amazing that for so many years he was so close but not there. But I'm so glad I had that conversation Friday. Okay, that's the guy that I've driven up to go see because he was dying. Because the doctor said he wasn't going to make it. So the doctor said, forget it. That's it for him. He's now living the most useful life that he's ever had. And having a far greater impact than he ever knew that he would because of God's grace in reaching out to a sinner. God's grace in moving in a life that played church but may not have necessarily known church. May not have actually ever gotten to that place and made a decision but wasn't plugged into the Lord. And that to me is the saddest thing because people forget and they think and they go, oh, okay. And they get right there. And they stop. Guys, if you're at the place where you've made a decision for Jesus, follow it the rest of the way through. Learn of Him. Not because it makes you a better Sunday churchman. Not because it is what I want you to do. Do it because a life that's sold out to Christ functions so much better. To hear my dad say, the Lord's speaking to me. He's telling me to go to places. He's even giving me the words. He says, you'll never believe it. I sat and met with a guy and coached him for four hours last Saturday because he just needed to have someone spend time with him. And he said, God kept giving me words. He kept giving me the opportunity to speak life into his life. This is a guy that in December said, I'm wearing one of the Medic Alert bracelets. I'm following my take it up, whatever that product's called. And he said, I'm only going to press it so that the, they can come and catch the body as it hits the floor. That was December 19th of last year. To have a conversation like that with my dad Friday. Unbelievable. And he says to me, he says, so how does, how does that make you feel? That doesn't make me feel that I'm ecstatic. It's absolutely astounding to me. And now, and I didn't have to say too much because I said, Dad, isn't it the best? He goes, yeah, it's the best. This is the best. Living for the Lord is the best. He says, it's just unbelievable. It amazes me. He's going to Bible studies at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. I'm going, Dad, who are you? Where did you come from? Because it's amazing when God gets a hold of the life. But don't, don't just sit and go, okay, I'll have this, but no more of you, Lord. Malcolm, at the age of 72 years, said, if only I'd known how great it was serving the Lord, I would have done this so much sooner. No matter what's going on in your life, don't let the enemy hold you back. Because the enemy's going to tell you, no, you only need to do this. Oh, get him out of the equation. Because you want to be able to have the Lord and have that relationship with Him. It should be He walks with me and He talks with me along life's narrow way. You should know what it is to be able to hear His voice. And more importantly, to have Him tell you where to go, what to do, and what to say. Because that's the life we're supposed to be living. All the rest is extra. One of the interesting things from Sunday School this morning was out of Deuteronomy 16, verse 17. And it says you give out of the proportion of the blessings that the Lord has blessed you with. 
Well, that's how we're supposed to live our lives, is out of the blessings that God has given to you. We're supposed to live out of the portion, out of in relation to the proportion of what God's doing in our lives. Because as I told you last week, it's about being full and working from the excess. Anybody remember the cup and the water that I had up here on the table probably about a year ago? And I was just pouring water into it and it was overflowing. It's the overflow of the cup that we're supposed to live out of. It's the overflow of what God's doing in our lives that we use to bless people, that we use to be useful to God. So if you're laboring and it's difficult, go back to Jesus. If you're laboring and it feels like you're dragging the entire world with you, go back to Jesus. Because you're not supposed to be carrying that weight. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Guys, it's very freeing. Okay? It's not so much planning about tomorrow as it is living today. We want to plan out there. And we forget to live here. It's living here that we make the difference in people's lives. And saying, I'll talk to them tomorrow. Tomorrow will never come. And I can guarantee you, seize the moment while you have it if God gives that to you. But don't let it be burdensome. Don't let it be difficult. Because as a guy that's been blessed all my life to see God do amazing things, it's when God's doing those amazing things that life is the best. <coughs> now, the caveat to that being, sometimes the circumstances within your life are incredibly crappy. Okay? You can have circumstances in your life that are just absolutely insane. The difference comes, not that you don't have those. It's not about that. Here, let me, let me put it this way. A father, picture of metal. Okay, picture of metal covered in snow. I know I just said the bad word, I'm so sorry. But at Prescott, they have it right now, so, you know, that's what happens. See, John, I remember I got that text on Wednesday night. That pastor never should have texted me. He may not have had snow, but well, well. A friend of mine, he's up there pastoring. It's awesome to have snow. As long as it all stays there, it's really good. Not to worry, though, the minute we get our first snowfall, I'm going to hear from friends in Virginia that are going to come up and go, man. <laughs> or, or, or do what another person in our church did last year as they were on the way to Florida. They got out of the snow and took a picture and sent it to me. So I could rejoice with them as I shoveled. A father going out into a meadow with his kids. Stuart Briscoe actually did this on Why Must Christ Die in his book, Why Must Christ Die. He tells the story of going into a meadow. They pull aside and he goes out into the field and he runs, taking the biggest steps that he can in the snow and puts a path all the way around. And he turns to his three children and says, step in my footsteps, follow in my footsteps around. And naturally the kids aren't quite able to do it exactly as dad did. And finally the youngest one gets up to do it and he stands in the first step that his father had taken and he jumps to try to make it to the next footstep that's in the snow and he falls on his face and as, as the wife's picking the poor little kid up and he's crying because his face is all wet with snow and more importantly he wouldn't do it that he did. His wife turns to him and goes, Stuart, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And he says, oh, I'm working on a sermon illustration. And he says, Petey, come over here, the littlest one. And he takes Petey and he puts Petey with his feet on his feet. And he holds him underneath the arms. And he says, watch this. And he stretches forward with Petey there, steps in the first one, steps in the next one, and steps in the next one. He says, that's how it is. That's how he's supposed to be able to do it. And that's how we're supposed to be able to live our life. We're putting our feet on top of the Lord's feet. We're stepping. Is it Petey that's doing it? Yes, Petey's doing it. Petey's now meeting the objective of getting feet into the footholds. So he's doing it. But he's doing it with his father's help. His father is doing the heavy lifting, as it were. Every time his father's feet move, Petey's feet move. 
but he's using his status, strength, and ability. That's how we're supposed to live as Christians. We put our feet on top of the Lord's feet. And we step with the Lord. And we step with the Lord. And when you do that, you have a grand old time and you get, you get all the way around the circle and do wonderful. And your feet even don't, don't even get wet. We make it too difficult. We forget that we live under the same grace. That it's through our faith in Christ that He empowers us as well. See, if it's all about us, we're going to try to keep doing it all in our own power. We're not going to be doing it the way the Lord intended, which is putting your feet on top of His. And it gets a whole lot easier. It's an amazing thing. That's amazing grace because it's not just at salvation. I don't know about you, but I can't do everything the Lord's called me to do without Him. I can't do half of it, probably not even a tenth of it, without Him. And I'm not called to do it without Him. You're not called to do it without Him. Yes, He gives us the opportunity. But we get to do it with His power. On His footsteps. And He gets the glory. And we get to see what He does. Hopefully that helps you today. But not only that, we know the story behind Amazing Grace, but hopefully you also know the story that you now at least understand a little bit. Because I'm fairly certain we can all picture that, right? Pretty much picture a little kid on top of the dad's feet. And I'm not going to do the illustration with anybody because I also was really stupid. And, and the foot is just rocks were in the thing where it landed. It was really bad. It's such a great educational experience. I'm never going to forget that long pads that are, you know, cut down or at least flat. And yes, I have the amazing ability to do very dumb things. But it was with a good heart. I was trying to make sure Maria could get through the through all of these thorns. So, as I was trying to be a good dad, but in the process, I realized I got to see this and that too that God is a good dad to us. That He's not asking us, or we can think it's too big, but even as He did with Ananias, God does amazing things. That's what it's about. Good? Good. Everybody apparently got that? You know, if you're not, I can pray and we'll, we'll close the service. So, look at that. Everybody's not even now. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for Your amazing grace. Lord, thank you for the work that you didn't solve. But Father, also thank you that you still work in us. Lord, help us to, to rest in you. May we shelter under your wings that we would renew our strength. Heavenly Father, give us the words to speak to folks this week. But Lord, most of all, help us to remember the grace that you've dealt with us that we might deal with others with that same grace. For Lord, there's tons of people out there that will do dumb things. But it's because they don't know You or they've forgotten to operate in grace and not in judgment. Lord, help us to have a heart for people and to see them as You do. See them on the inside and not just judging by the outward appearances. Heavenly Father, I also ask that You would bless each one. Lord, I thank You for their dedication, for their commitment to come this morning to hear from your word. May you send them with great blessings. May you go before them and make the road smooth. May your blessings envelop them. May they have favor with you and with men. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we've taken the back because it was Abby's 18th birthday. So if you didn't get to wish Abby a happy birthday, happy birthday, Abby. See, Stephanie, that's the way it goes.